All right. You know, Paul tells Timothy, I hope you're in Acts 15. Paul tells Deem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. All right. Acts 15 is where we're going to hang out. We are family. If I could put a subtitle or, or an actual title to today's sermon. Today's sermon, we are talking about agreeing on the essentials. Agreeing on the essentials as we start this, this first week of We Are Family. Uh, normally, I'm going to read the text and then, and then pray, but let me, let me do that backwards. Let me pray and then we'll read the text a little bit and then we'll talk. Is that good? Uh, Father, we do thank you. First of all, thank you for, um, thank you for your body. Thank you for local elders. Thank you for Pastor Timmy and I.O. servant leadership of holding us down. Father, we're grateful and we thank you and we pray nothing but favor and open doors as they continue to live out this thing called the faith and journey with you for the rest of their lives. We pray that you would bless them and protect them. Father, I pray for the word today. I pray Daniel 9, 8, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but we do so because of your great mercy. And so, Father, because you're merciful, would you be merciful to speak to us today, even out of a hard passage like this? It's in Jesus' name I give glory. Amen. Amen. Agreeing on the essentials. Um, I grew up in a two-parent household, had three siblings. I'm the youngest of, uh, of all of our siblings. I have two older brothers and one older, one older sister. And growing up in our family, there, there just was some spoken and even unspoken norms in our house. There, there was just some rules that you had to adhere to. And some of them, you know, you, you were directly told these are the rules. And then there are some that you weren't really told, but you kind of knew because you watched your siblings or, you, you know, you watched how the household flowed and you knew what to do and what not to do. I specifically remember my mother giving me clear instructions and directions on one specific topic. She would say stuff like, what goes on in this house? Y'all grew up in my house. I hear y'all, don't be scared to talk. What goes on in this house stays in this house. Basically, she was saying, I don't want family business out in the streets. And so whatever we doing in this house, the fussing and whatever it is that goes on in this house, the dysfunction, you keep it in this house. You don't let that go out. I also grew up in a household that, you know, all of us knew based on my, my parents' upbringing, they would tell us, if one of y'all get in a fight, everybody better fight. In fact, I pushed this one the wrong way one time. I didn't know, but uh, my, my brother, I didn't know this, but he got into a fight. We were kids. He got into a fight, and the kid busted his lip, and he ran back in the house, and, you know, you know he wasn't nice with them hands like I was. That's what it was. But, but a little bit later on, I was playing with the same kid outside, so my mother was like, what are you doing in this house? What's wrong? And she looked at his lip and she was like, what happened? And, and he said he got into a fight and she said, with who? And then she looked outside and saw me playing with the same kid. Needless to say, when I got home, uh, my mother made sure that I knew never to do that again. She pulled that belt out and she wasn't playing because it was a spoken rule in the house that if one of y'all fight, y'all better not come home unless all of y'all have fought. It was, there was also a rule. This is just how I grew up. There was also a rule in our house. This was actually unspoken, but we knew it. On Sunday mornings, you had to go to church. There was no such thing as sleeping in, like every Sunday. Didn't matter what you did on Saturday night. Didn't matter, you know, what you felt like. You had to go to church on Sunday morning. And 
I don't know, you know, if I pass the mic around, what you guys would come up with. What were their family dynamics in your house? What are some things that you knew that was spoken by your parents or you, whoever brought you up, whoever, you know, your grandparents? Or what are the things that were not spoken that you adhered to? Because I would argue that those things actually preserve unity in the house. Let me say it differently. When I met Ty, uh, you know, there were some rules in her house that was a little, you know, a little odd for me. My, my, my in-laws would be very clear to this day, you cannot walk in my in-laws house with your shoes on. And not even a foot, not even a step. You put your shoes on at the door, you take them off at the door. Also, my mother-in-law, she keeps a clean house, so she says you can't go to sleep with dishes in the sink. And I, I just, I, mean, I think these spoken and unspoken rules have a way of making sure that we're all aligned and we all are agreeing on what is essential in the home. Let me say it this way, if I went around and I told family business and my mother said, what goes on in this house, stay in this house, I, I guarantee you there would be tension in the home. If I didn't go to church and I said, ah, oh, y'all go to church, I'm sleeping today, I guarantee you there would be tension in the home. If I walked into my mother-in-law's house with my shoes on and, and I left dishes in the sink, you better believe there would be some slow singing and flower bringing <laughs> if my burger alarm started ringing. If my in-laws saw me doing things that was against the house rules that they have set and spoken, there would be problems in the house. I believe that it is the same way with the family of God. But it's not about washing dishes. You know, it, it's not about, you know, if one getting a fight or we all getting a fight. It's, it's not that type of that type of family, I think there are essentials that are of the faith that we have to agree on. Now, let me be clear. Essentials, not non-essentials. There are some things that are not essential that honestly aren't that big of a deal. But then there are some things that are so essential to the faith that if you and I aren't aligned with the essentials of the faith, we can't even call ourselves brother and sister. And so as we go, we are family. We're really not family unless we agree on the essentials. Now, let me be clear, I'm not talking about what I would call loose hand um, convictions. There's close hand, closed hand, that, that's, you know, the cross. You don't, we can't play with that. That's, I'll debate you all day on the cross. But you know what's an open hand issue, a non, uh, what I would say is a non-essential? Baptism. Now, it's important. It's an ordinance of the church. But we might differ in how baptism happens. I got friends that sprinkle. We don't sprinkle, we immerse, we dip, we go, we go all the way under. But that's, that's just because we have theological convictions toward that, but that don't mean when we stand before the Lord, he's gonna be like, oh, y'all sprinkle, y'all, you know, y'all immerse, you know, one of y'all gotta go, I would argue that we're good, but you know, that, that's neither here nor there. I have friends that, that believe in, in, um, in, in baptizing infants. We don't baptize infants. We baptize professing believers. If you are old enough, whatever age that is, to have heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, and you can profess faith in Jesus, we would baptize. There are some non-essential items like church governance. You know, what is, the, what is the roles of elders? What do deacons look like? Is the church a congregational church? These are things that are non-essential that I think are important, but it doesn't mean that we should break fellowship. We're still brothers and sisters in Christ, even if we disagree, which is why there are so many denominations. And just because you Baptist and just because you Pentecostal and, you know, just because you're, you know, non-denominational, whatever it is, AME, whatever your denomination is, we can still be aligned even though we disagree on non-essentials. But there are some essentials that if we are not agreeing, we are not a part of the faith. So when I'm talking about agreeing on the essentials, I'm talking about the things that make us family. Because if we don't agree, we're not 
family, the passage before us, I think is going to help us to understand what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I just believe that if we can unite on a commonality, if we can unite on the essentials, I think we will grow deeper in our love for one another. We will grow deeper in our bond. We will grow deeper in our love for Jesus if we agree. Because when I'm down, I need somebody to tell me the essentials. And when you're down, you need somebody to tell you essentials. What do you mean, the gospel? We got to do a little bit of work here. I told you we'll be a little bit more academic today. Y'all bear with me. Next week, we'll probably be a little bit more practical. But in Acts chapter 15, context purposes, Paul and Barnabas are now heading back to Antioch. Now, if you know anything about Paul and Barnabas ministry, there were a few missionary journeys that they took. One of them started in Acts chapter 13. If you remember, the Bible says in Acts chapter 13, let me just read it real quick. Bible says in Acts chapter 13 that they were at the church in Antioch and there were prophets and Barnabas and Simeon, uh, who was called Niger, Lucius. That's not from power. That's from Cyrene. Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Paul for the work that I have called them to. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas go off and they they're killing it in ministry. Read the rest of Acts 13. Read Acts 14. Many disciples were being made. Elders are being appointed to the church because Paul and Barnabas are on mission. Now they get back to Antioch. And when they come back to Antioch, they come back with a report. And the report is dope. The report is the gospel is flourishing so much. It is not just flourishing amongst us Jews. It is now flourishing amongst non-Jews a.k.a. Gentiles. Let me read this verse to you real quick. It's in Acts 14. Y'all stand with me? I'm kind of bouncing real quick. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. Here's what it says when they came back. And when they, Paul and Barnabas, arrived, verse 27, they gathered the church together, Antioch. They declared all that God had done with them and how God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So you have Jews being saved by the gospel. You have Gentiles being saved by the gospel. Really what you see happening right now and playing out is Jesus' words in John 10 when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I will bring them in also. So in other words, those other sheep that Jesus was talking about was the Gentiles. Now we see it actually coming to, to fruition. We see that the Jews are being saved, the Gentiles are being saved. Here's what God didn't do. God didn't say, okay, Jews... Y'all start a church over here. Gentiles, y'all start a church over here. He doesn't separate them by the tracks. He says, get in one building and figure this thing out. And this is like if you're if you're in this room and you're you know, you're not of Jewish descent, you should be rejoicing because God has given us full access to anybody. Anybody, anybody that has placed their faith in Jesus, didn't matter your socioeconomic upbringing. It doesn't matter your political affiliations. I know we hate this one, but you can be a Democrat and actually still love Jesus. You can be a Republican and actually still love Jesus. You can be Black Lives Matter. Kanye, we praying for. We can be Black Lives Matter <laughs> and still love Jesus. You can have a MAGA hat on and still love Jesus. And I want to be very, very clear. Yes, we got issues. Yeah, yeah, I get I understand. Yes, we got issues, but the faith is not a political affiliation, it is Jesus affiliation. I need somebody talking to me. So you can be black 
and love Jesus. You can be white, you can be Jew, Gentile, Greek, you can be Hawaiian, Nigerian, Haitian, Dominican, Asian. It does not matter who you are or what you are. If you've trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ, we got we family, even though culturally we're still different. And one of the frustrating things that I think that is going on in the text is even though the Jews are, have full access to God through Jesus and the Gentiles have full access to God through Jesus, they got some issues that they're trying to work out in this chapter. What is the issue? The issue is now that the Gentiles have been saved, the Jews, some of the Jews, believing Jews, want to incorporate them in the family, but they want to do so by putting a Jewish identity on them. Does that make sense? The Gentiles who had no Jewish affiliation, no cultural assimilation into the, into the Jewish community, they are now brothers and sisters. So that means, think about this. It would be like, you know, a, a Jew and a Gentile walking down the street and one of them like, nah, I only eat kosher food. And the other one be like, give me a bacon, egg and cheese because they're going to eat ribs. Gentiles going to eat ribs. That's just that they have dietary, you know, restrictions in the Jewish community, not in Gentile community. In fact, you'll see that play out in, play, in, in many places. I mean, you got Peter that had a whole dream of what to eat and what not to eat. Y'all remember that dream where the food was coming down? That's the kind of dreams I like. Food just coming down everywhere. And, and, and Peter sitting there and, you know, and then he says, rise, kill, and eat. And now, now, Peter, a Jew, I would never eat that. God is like, don't you call unclean what is clean. This is why I need our vegetarians to back off of us that eat meat. <laughs> Because my, my God said, rise, kill, and eat. That's what he said. That's what he said. Y'all don't say that too loud. Y'all know we got the, the nutrition store next door. Y'all ever walk in there, Miss Law will cuss you out. I love her. But she, 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 she's a funny one. God's body is made up of, yes, Jews, but it is made up of Gentiles. It is made up of an eclectic group. Look around the room. We're not all the same. We don't all think the same. We ain't got the same melanin. We ain't got the same convictions. But there is something that binds us. And that's the essential. What is the essential? The cross of Jesus Christ. If you and I can't agree on what salvation actually means, then we can't be brothers and sisters. I would say the same in Acts chapter 15. Pick me up in verse 1. Y'all good? Yeah. In verse number 1, now that... Paul and Barnabas have come back, right? That's the end of chapter 14. They said, man, the Gentiles is being saved. They speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit done fell on them the same way it fell on us. But watch what happens in verse one. But some men came down from Judea and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, that's, that's Jewish, circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Jump down to verse number five. But some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, that's the Jews, rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So Paul and Barnabas go around and they preaching and they preaching, they planting churches. And guess what? Both Jews and Gentiles are being saved. Some of the Jews that are in Judea called Judaizers, they hear about this. They start preaching. Yes, you're saved by the cross, but it is not only the cross that saves you. It's the cross plus circumcision. It's the cross plus adherence to the Mosaic law. And this is contrary to what Paul and Barnabas preached. Let me say that differently. This is contrary to what the gospel even is. 
So Paul and Barnabas preached the simplicity of the gospel. You are saved. Somebody say this by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Period. There's nothing. Y'all said period. That's so funny. We're saved by grace alone, <laughs> saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But here you have these people coming down from Judea and they're not preaching that message. They're going, yeah, OK, you're saved by Christ. I understand that I'm not denouncing the cross. But guess what? You better add to it because it's almost like they're saying you got to help the cross out. It's circumcision, too. And if you add circumcision and if you add adherence to the law for salvation, what you're now saying is that the gospel is a works based gospel. And you got to understand something about the simplicity of the gospel. If you're scratching your head going, that's all I got to do is be saved to be saved is trust in Jesus. That's how you know it's real. Because if anybody says, now you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this and this, you know, what they're doing is they're saying, man, we're trying to preserve our Jewish identity, even though Gentiles are being saved. Let me pause here for a second and just say, don't don't ever let anybody make you think in order to fully love Jesus, you have to do so the way they do. Let me say that again. You, you cannot I'll say it differently. You cannot. Assimilate into a local church body and think the only way I can be saved is I have their church lingo. And if I dress like them, do you know how many churches do that? You better come in here and put that thing on your head and get a long skirt. And you know, you know how many churches do that? And what we say is that is equal to salvation. And that don't equal salvation. What you are is a Judaizer making us be circumcised. And what he's saying in the text is, no, but we're saved by grace. And then the Judaizers like, no, it's grace and circumcision. No, we're saved by grace. No, it's adherence to the Mosaic law. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying go out here and don't observe what Moses said. Like Moses said, don't kill. I agree. No, he said, don't steal. I agree. But I do not agree in terms of that makes me saved because what that is is a performance-based gospel. Well, what that is, is that makes me work for God's love. I don't have to work for God's love. I work from God's love because Jesus has already done the work. I no longer have to perform for God. And so you're in the family. If you've trusted in Jesus, we're brothers and sisters, but brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is an essential piece of our faith. And we have to agree because I think if we can agree on this, our small groups will be better. Our discipleship will be better. Our worship will be better. We'll be able to deal with conflict better if we agree on these essentials. So, yeah, they're talking about circumcision in the text today. And we might not be arguing in this room about circumcision. But do you know how many people believe in the cross plus I got to go to church to be saved? Do you know how many people believe in the cross plus I got to be baptized to be saved? Baptism don't save you. It's nothing mystical about the water. I agree with it. I adhere to it. But there's it's not for salvation. It's because you are saved. Same thing with communion. Oh, man, I had a rough week. I sinned this week. I just take communion. That don't it ain't nothing mystical about it. We're just remembering what he had already done. So many people be like, you can't, you know, you can't, I'm getting in trouble for this one. Pastor Timmy's not a pastor anymore, so I'm going to keep going. <laughs> you can't drink and be, you know, and be saved. Oh, you were drinking, huh? <laughs> Listen, you can have that old-fashioned with some bitters and an orange peel. I don't know how I knew that. I, I don't know. How, I have no clue. I don't know what that was. You can love Jesus. I'm serious. Now, I'm not saying get drunk. 
But there are so many things that we tie to salvation and we're, and we're going, oh, man, they holding to, you know, circumcision. And you might not hold to that, but we hold people. We hold the faith hostage yeah. and you and you dilute the efficiency of the cross. Yeah. When you say I got to add to it, what you're really saying is, God, you really did a work, but you ain't did it good enough. So I got to help you out. I actually got to do a little bit more. So let me, you know, use a little loose. So let me let me tighten it up. Plus circumcision, plus going to church, plus taking communion, plus baptism. And none of that save us. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Oh, I'm glad y'all are clapping. Let me put Bible here. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, not a result of works, not a result of works so that no man can boast. What, what Paul did is he literally strips you from getting in heaven and beating your chest. Because all of us made it in by the work of Christ. See, if you are now making it in by a work plus Christ, you can get in heaven and say, Jesus, I thank you for what you did. But did y'all see what I did? Did y'all see how I read my Bible? I'm saved because of that. Did y'all see how I gave to the church? They asked for money for the lift. Did y'all see how I did that? I, we'll list out all these things. And if you stand before God and you list out a, a list of performance, you will be crushed. You know what my list is? One word, Jesus. Period. That's the only thing I will say when I stand before God. I can't talk about anything that I did that is seemingly good because seemingly good to a holy God, God ain't good enough. We serve a God that demands Danielle perfection. And unless you are perfect, you can't stand before God. But guess what? You are perfect if you trusted in the one that was perfect and absorbed the very wrath of God. And now I stand before him freely and I hear well done. You add nothing to the cross, which is what the Judaizers are trying to do to the Gentiles. Yeah, they're saved, but they're saved if they believe in the cross and if they adhere to Mosaic law and if they get circumcised. In other words, if they become more Jewish, there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing that I bring to God except the sin that makes salvation even necessary. That's the only thing. If you want to think about what you bring to God when you stand before the Lord, all you bring is sin. That's it. He brought the salvation, which covered my very sin. This is why I love the song. And I asked the worship team to switch it up, you know, impromptu in the first service. I hope they do it again in the second service. There's a hymn, an old hymn called Rock of Ages. Y'all remember that hymn? And in the hymn it says, not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demand. All for sin cannot atone. Thou must save and thou alone. You don't add anything to the cross. I don't know if I've told you guys, I, I have, but I don't know if you, you know, some of you that just started coming have heard my salvation story. And I was, I was born and raised in church. Like literally my, I, everywhere, my father was in the military, so everywhere we bounced around, we always found a Baptist church to, to be in. I genuinely, I was in church three or four times a week. I feel like my mom like birthed me on the altar. Like I was in church all the time. And it breeded a false sense of salvation for me because I thought I never denounced the cross, but I always said it's the cross plus I come to church. It's the cross plus it's my giving. And I would tie all of these things to it. And it took a friend that shared the gospel with me in the parking lot of a very church and said, before he could help me see salvation, he had to get me seemingly unsaved. He had to pull away all circumcision. And he had to pull away all of the stuff that we adhere to that we won't tell anybody we adhere to because that's the thing. Many of us theologically believe, Caleb, that we are saved by grace, but we operate in legalism. 
Can I talk about myself for a second? There are many times where I know, I know theologically that I don't have to earn God's love, but there are many times I still feel like my faith is performance. I still feel like it. And so I often have to remind myself, oh, oh, thank you for this text. I'm not saved by circumcision, a.k.a. another work because the cross was sufficient, because God was actually mighty to save, which is why when Jesus dies, what does he say? It is. What, what else you doing? He said it's finished. Why are we still working for what is already finished? Do you realize that he is at the right hand of the father and the Bible says he is sitting? Sitting means I already killed the work. I already did it. It's, it's done. What are you performing for when Christ is chilling like, oh, they don't know 2000 years ago. I got up on a cross. My sinless self got up on a cross and took on their sin. There's no more work that you have to do. Let me keep moving here. So the first thing that we see in the text is that what makes them family is a common goal of understanding the essentials of the faith. What is the essential of the faith? That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Don't add to the cross. There, there's, a, there's a book. I'm going to move on from the point, but there's a book. Um, my wife read it years ago. It's uh, by a guy named, uh, early 2000s, named uh, Tullian uh, Televinci. And, he, he, and the book is titled, Jesus Plus Nothing equals everything. That's the core of what the gospel is. You don't add anything to it. So the first thing that we see in the text is they're trying to figure out what to do with the Gentiles. Should we add a work to their gospel? But watch what we see happen that keeps them united. Don't miss this. It's church leadership. I'm going to read a lot, so just bear with me. I'll read fast, but just bear with me. Verse number one. But some of the men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you, can, uh, uh, you cannot, uh, unless, uh, uh, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem. To the, I love the plural nature of this, apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through uh, both uh, Phoenicia, Phoenicia and uh, Samaria, describing all the details of the conversions of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So get this, verse 1 through 3, they're in Antioch. Antioch now sends them to Jerusalem. Verse 4, they're, they're now in Jerusalem. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. There it is again, plural. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged, notice believers, that like these people who were saying circumcision as well, there's, it's an in-house debate. These are believers. Just be clear. Don't, it's not like, it's not a, a, a demonic false prophet. These are believers that are wrestling and trying to figure out the faith. So it says, but some believers who belong to the party of the of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the law of Moses and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. Why are we not surprised that Peter stands up like Peter? He on, you know, he cuts you out. He, he cut your ear off. But Peter is always you can bank on Peter always talking. He says, so Peter stood up and he said to them, brothers, 
You know that in the early days, God made a choice among you and that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God uh, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. And he made no dis distinction between us and them. Uh, having cleansed their hearts by the faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? See, Paul is, I mean, Peter is literally like, y'all trying to put on them something that your fathers, not even us, were able to do ourselves, which was circumcision and adhere to the law. Then he goes on in verse 11 to say, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to, to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders that God had done through them amongst the Gentiles. After they had finished speaking, James replied. Now, James, another leader in the church. What does James have to say? Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, who has related how God had visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his own name and with the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now, now James, is, James says, I'm not just going to talk. I'm going to pull in scripture. He pulls in Amos chapter nine, verse 11 and 12. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild the ruins. I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind uh, may seek the Lord and the Gentiles, who are all called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from old. Verse 19, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them. He gives them a few little rules to abstain from the things that pollute that uh, things that polluted idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Pay attention to verse number 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and with the whole church. So Peter says, look, our fathers couldn't even adhere to this law, but we want the Gentiles to, let's not put more on them. Paul and Barnabas start talking about, man, this is what God was doing. They wouldn't say this, but Acts 13 and Acts 14, this is what God was doing with the Gentiles. And then James stands up. James says, don't just stand up, but he opens up his Bible. He says, come here, Amos, in Amos chapter 9. Here's what God is doing amongst the Gentiles. And what you see playing out at the end of it, it says, this seemed good to the apostles and the elders and to the entire church. What you see is the unity in the house has been preserved because of church leadership. See, we give we give church leadership such a bad rep. It's almost like the sound team. We don't notice them unless something go wrong. If, if everything started going haywire right now and the mics and stuff started going, y'all, all of y'all will look back at Z right now. But y'all ain't noticed him when he came in. Brother smooth today. Beard is tight. Y'all ain't noticed none of that about him. You know, but we will notice him if something goes wrong. I think it's the same way with church leadership. And here's why. Many of us have grown up and I say us have grown up and seen toxic leadership. And we've seen pastors that have embezzled money and we've seen elders that have slept around the church and maintained position. What is that? What is that? I don't I literally can't fathom it. I don't know how you can sleep around the church and then get up and preach to the same people you sleep with. I don't. How do you do it? 
I just I don't get it. But we've been bruised because we've seen that historically. And so what that has done is that's made us lack trust in what church leadership is in a local church. But when I read Acts 15 and I read the confusion that's going on between the Judaizers and Paul and Barnabas and James and Peter, I realized what brought everything together was when they got to the Jerusalem Council, which was made up of church leadership, church leadership is important. And I want to be clear, this isn't some weird way to, you know, get you to cultishly. I'm not Jim Jones. Like, I'm not, I don't want to be lifted up. You ever seen that on YouTube where you put the pastor in the seat and you put a crown on him and you lift him up? I'm not Jesus co-equal. I bow before the king. Do you hear me? I, I'm not sitting at the throne going, yo, God, yo, we here. No, no, I'm, I'm kneeling before him because I realize I'm a hot mess just like you. Yes? Can you look at your neighbor? Because <laughs> I felt like you knew something about me the way you say yes. I felt a little weird about that one. Can you look at your neighbor and just say you are a hot mess? So I don't feel alone. Dale, look at somebody else and just say you are a hot mess too. But what brings our hot messness together is the, is the doctrinal stance of the church being preserved because when we are preserved through the essentials, then peace will be in the house because we can work our issues out. You know, don't allow the toxic, uh, the toxic leadership that you've seen to make you give up on church leadership. It is important. We're going to read about it, not this week, uh, coming up, but the following week, how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It is so important that we see it's not just about the apostles' teaching. I'm not some Yoda or Superman, but you got to understand that God is leading the leadership in the church right now to preserve unity. We're only family because we agree on the essentials. We're only a family because the essentials are preserved. And so local leadership is important. Here's what makes Pastor Timmy leaving so mixy. I'm so mixed on my emotion. I'm grateful to see his transition and the things that he is doing in life. I don't know if, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but he's working on his MBA. Like he's, like he out here killing it, killing it. Right, like I'm, I'm so proud of him. But at the same time, I honor the work that he did. I'm not just grateful for Peter. I'm not just grateful for Paul. I'm not just grateful for James. I'm, I'm grateful that James stood up and opened up his Bible, but I'm grateful that Pastor Timmy stood up and opened his Bible. Church leadership. Same thing, I don't know if you know my pastor, Dr. Eric Mason down in Philly. You know, I look at, I look at, you know, what's going on, you know, he, his, his wife had several bouts of cancer and chemo, but guess what? He remained faithful to the work of the Lord, faithful to his family, ain't got no scandals, ain't never cheat on his wife. Like, I'm grateful for church leadership. And I'm not going to allow, and this is why I said us, I'm not going to allow my toxic past of church leadership to dictate how God puts local leaders into place. One of the ways that we can remain tight is when we agree on the essentials. Another way that we remain tight as a family is when we understand and respect and follow the leaders that God has put in place of the church. Final way is through the Holy Spirit. Y'all know we need the Spirit, right? We don't just sing Holy Spirit, you are welcome home here. We actually mean that because without the Holy Spirit, this whole thing falls apart. You know, I love it because in verse 22, it says it seemed good to the apostle and the elders and the whole church. But it didn't just seem good to them. Jump down to verse 28. Verse 28 says it this way. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. 
not to lay on us any greater burden. First of all, I know the Gentile men are like, no circumcision. Thank you, God. I, I know they rejoice right now. You, this is a praise break for the Gentiles. Leave, let them be. But what he does, what, what we see in, in verse 28 is that the men that were all making this uh, keeping and preserving the unity within this essential doctrine, they weren't just doing it because they were intellectuals. They were doing it fueled by the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, Peter might have said, don't put nothing else on them. James might have said, don't put nothing else on them. Peter, uh, Paul and Barnabas might have said the Gentiles are being saved. But at the end of the day, it was the Holy Spirit that was guiding them. And it is only in the church that we see the reason you look around this room and see that we're so diverse in culture and background. The reason this is able to work is because the Holy Spirit has bound us together. You're sitting next to somebody that if you were on the train, you would sit next to them on the train Get off at your stop and keep going. As great as Danielle is leading worship, if Danielle got on the train and sang the exact same songs, you would get off at your stop and keep going. I know I'm telling the truth. And so the, the, only, only in the church do you get a, an eclectic group like this and get us all to have the same marching orders to our King Jesus Christ. It's the same thing in ancient times. You would have never, no place, literally no place in ancient history could you have gone and seen Jews and Gentiles having a meaningful relationship and actually loving one another. Nowhere. Jews and Gentiles didn't mix. They didn't rock together. But here you have them getting together and being called brothers and sisters and being called we are family all because the Holy Spirit binds them together. How, do you, how, many, how many of you know that, let me say this differently, do you realize that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, we'd have cussed each other out a long time ago? There's a few people I wanted to cuss out. Some of y'all in this room. Few people I wouldn't. I'm joking. No, I'm not joking. I'm serious. Few people I would have cussed out earlier this year. And you know what? I'm not exempt. I know a few of y'all wanted to cuss me out too. But did you say that's right? Who was that? Let me exercise my church leadership for a second. We don't cuss each other out because the Holy Spirit restrains us. It's not because you got discipline. It's, it ain't because you got discipline. You are you, like you're one comment away from cussing somebody out. Somebody rubbed you the wrong way. And here's the thing about family. Don't think that we're going to sit in here and be singing Kubaya and you've made it to some, you know, utopia. No, we got mess in here. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just keep us from cussing each other out. It helps us to work out our issues. And yes, we got issues. We got issues with each other. Sometimes somebody's going to say something that, don't, that rubs you the wrong way. Somebody's going to do something. You just don't like their personality. But it takes the Holy Spirit to bring us together. Young lady came to me last week and told me something that, you know, that, that I did. And I had to say, man, I'm sorry. That's what the body's supposed to do. Gabe got on my nerves earlier this week. Gabe, I love you. But Gabe got on my nerves. And I'm sure I got on his nerves. But here's the thing. We walked out and we tight. You better not ever talk about him in my presence. I'm ride or die with Gabe. But there are moments where we both rub each other the wrong way. But guess what? It is the Holy Spirit that binds us and restrains us from walking away from each other. There's perseverance in the body. Why? Because the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit not to allow any other requirements to be a part of the faith. In other words, it is the Holy Spirit that is driving them together. The Holy Spirit isn't just for you to speak in tongues. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit isn't just for you to jump around and buck and shout. I ain't against any of it. 
You can, we, if you jumped up right now and started shouting, Matthias will back you up. We good, we good, we good. I don't know what the other musicians are, but we, we good. That's a slight, that's a little shade to you. But guess what, but guess what? The guy, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody get Miguel and Michael telling me about to hit a praise breaker here. Look, we'll back you up. But the Holy Spirit isn't just here for us to speak in tongues and jump and shout. The Holy Spirit is here to help us to figure out our issues. Holy Spirit is here to help us to work things out. It constrains us. It holds us. It keeps us together. Our, our community is tighter. I'm laughing at every musician that come in now. Our, our Holy Spirit is uh, Holy Spirit. Our community is tighter because of the Holy Spirit. Don't don't miss what happened in the text. I'm ending here. Our family is tighter when we agree on the essentials of the faith, not the non-essentials, but the essentials. Let's agree on that. The cross and the work that Jesus has done. Nothing added. Our family is tighter when we understand and respect the leaders that God has put over the church. No cultish, weird leadership. Like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking real healthy leadership. Our church, our family is stronger when we adhere to that. And finally, we are stronger when we understand the Holy Spirit's role in our family. I believe that God is wooing somebody to himself right now. There's somebody in here the whole time we're talking about we are family and what does it mean to be family. As we laid out the gospel with a clear presentation today, I believe that some of you right now, literally are being wooed. That, that feeling you feel right now, what if that is God bringing you to himself? All of us had to experience it. And I don't know what you, you know, I don't know what your church background is. I don't know what you're walking in here, you know, and walking, what baggage you have. But I do know that this thing called the local church, aka the body, the pillar ground in truth, is God's will for your life. Do y'all hear me? It's not God's will for you to be isolated. It's not, it's not God's will for you to be home. It's not God's will for you to be sitting on Instagram and Facebook. What body are you around? Who knows you? Who's to be known? Who's helping you to figure out the essentials? Who's helping you to adhere to the essentials? We need church leadership and we need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for somebody today. If you would say that's me, like I'm not going to hold this long. But if you're like, man, I don't know Jesus. And that gospel that you just said, I've always added to it. If that's you, if you would say, man, I, I want to give my life to the Lord. I believe in that. Would you raise your hand if that's you, that if you want to give your life to the Lord today. This moment is, I don't want to run past it real quick. I'm going to move quick, but not too quick. Those of you in this room that would say, I don't know the Lord. Not though I know the Lord that I was taught when I was a child. But how many of you know that sometimes what you understood about Jesus when you were a child is much different than the Jesus of the scriptures? I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to invite you to the family reunion. We ain't got to have a barbecue and cookout to be at a family reunion. Jesus is present and he's binding us. Father, I thank you for each and every person that's in. It's in this building. I thank you for the family that we have, we've made. I thank you for, thank you that I'm still getting to know brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, would you preserve our family unity? There will be times, God, I know there will be times where we are 
we are frustrated with each other. There'll be times that we don't respond the, the right way. We won't always meet the expectations of the body. But Lord, don't let that cause tension between the brothers and sisters. Lord, because we're family, that means we can work out our issues. It is so toxic for us to sweep our issues under the rug. You didn't even do that. You saw our sin and swiftly sent Jesus. Meaning that you dealt directly with our issues, not go around them. So Father, forgive us, oh God, for trying to preserve a false unity by not addressing issues. But help us, oh God, to What's up, God, to get in, this, get in here and work this thing out the way the Jews and the Gentiles did it in Acts chapter 15 and honestly for the rest of the book of Acts? Because even though we're seeing how God, how you worked here and Peter was so bold in his declaration, we see other places where he got a little hypocritical because that's what we are, Lord. And so, Lord, we need your spirit to work on our hearts, to work on our minds. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Thank you for your work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.